And you can turn to Romans chapter 11. Maybe this will be the last message in Romans 11. As you're turning there, I'll just uh, confess to you, we're, we're wading into the deep end here of one of the great expressions of worship in the Scriptures. Y'all know whenever you got leftovers at home and you go and you trying to pick out the Tupperware container that it'll fit in and you get that container down and you realize you've got half the pan in there and you don't have enough room. Uh, it's kind of the way this message is today with what we got uh, with the expression here that Paul has is there's just not enough room in the word containers that we have to contain everything that's here. And so that's why we rely on the Holy Spirit to take us beyond the words, to take us beyond what we can comprehend. So I pray that He would do that as we read these verses. We're going to begin in 11 and 30. Oh, 32. So this is just bridging into this last expression here that Paul has after he's finishing teaching us about what God is doing in history. For God has concluded them all in unbelief that He might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has first given to Him? And it shall be recompensed unto Him again. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we come to You again just asking You, Lord, to let Your Word be active and sharper than any two-edged sword in this room, dividing asunder the thoughts and intentions, the motives of our very hearts. Lord, I pray that You would wound us and heal us at the same time with this powerful Word that breaks hard sinners' hearts, rebellious hearts, and turns them into loving, submissive, humble, meek hearts hearts of loving children. These things I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we come to this final expression here, and Paul breaks out into worship. He does this many times in his letters. And here he says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. What is it that Paul is breaking out into worship over? He's just said that God has decided to have mercy on all those whom He will have mercy. And as you take a look at reading the various commentaries, there are some that say, well, this is just applying to the immediate chapter here. And there's some that say, well, it's really talking about everything in chapter 1 through 11. And I think that's right. I mean, this is just a letter that's meant to be read in one sitting. And you sit down and you read this and you read about all of the things that he's been covering. 
the just shall live by faith, that it's possible for sinful creatures to actually be just with God, right with Him, in right relationship. To read, you know, in chapter 1 where it talks about there's wrath being poured out in the world right now. And we've escaped that wrath. And in chapter 2 it talks about a coming wrath in the future. And that through faith in Christ we've escaped that wrath. And he goes through and talks about how by faith we are justified. Justified because we could never be justified by the works of the law. He goes through and talks about how we receive that. He talks about how Abraham was the model for that. He goes in in chapter 6 and starts talking about for all of those who are united to Christ by faith, who are in union with Christ, married to Christ, that changes everything. There's a whole new way of living because now you've got citizenship in a kingdom that transcends this world and we live like people who are transcending the world. He talks about the victory over the old nature and the wrestling that we go through. And then even though there is that wrestling that takes place in the heart of every child, faith is victorious over that in chapter 8. And nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. And then he talked about in 9, 10, 11 how God is sovereign in salvation and you are responsible to repent and to believe. And that everybody's going to be held accountable. And after thinking about all of that, it's like Paul's head just explodes. And he says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He's just, he's amazed at what's being said here. And so we'll just take a little time this morning to take a look at this and grasp what we can. You will wonder and worship when you see the perfection of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ. You will wonder and worship when you see the perfection of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ. What causes you to wonder today? We have all kinds of things that stimulate and entertain and stimulate wonder. I remember I grew up going to an amusement park in Amarillo, Texas called Wonderland. Well, let me tell you something. Paul has entered into Wonderland in Romans eleven thirty three through 36. So we'll talk about the things that would cause us to wonder as Paul wondered here. You'll wonder in the best way when you know Him whose name is Wonderful. We'll talk a little bit about what does it mean to wonder. How, how is Paul wondering here? You will wonder in the best way when you know Him whose name is incomparable. You will wonder in the best way when you know Him who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So let us wonder with Paul, with what he is saying here, beginning in verse 33. The first thing you notice here is that it starts with one letter. O. That's not just O. It's O! This is an interjection. It's an explosion of worship. O. 
I just can't wrap my head around it. I, I just can't understand all of it. Oh the, oh, the wonder. Oh, the depth of the riches. Oh, the depth of the riches. This word depth here is used in the Scriptures describing the ocean. Whenever Jonah went down in the fish, he said, The depth closed about me. We see in Job also that this is used. When he talks about the depths of the sea and the depths of the ocean. Paul here says, Oh, the depth of the riches. He's describing here some riches that are very deep. And I was thinking about the ocean this week, and so I looked it up in uh, National Geographic. There's some oceanographers there that talk about the ocean. They say that 71% of the earth is covered by water, and the oceans contain 97% of the water and the earth. And yet, more than 80% of the ocean has never been mapped or explored. 80%. Oh, the depth. We have mapped more of the surface of Mars than we have the ocean. And the ocean is there to teach us. Every time you go to the ocean and you look out there, you, you can know a little bit about it. It's knowable and yet unknowable. There's a depth there that we can't reach down to. We see that expressed by the psalmist in 77.19 when he says, Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Oh, the depth of the riches. Paul is using this word here in describing this great work of Christ that he has been teaching us through these first 11 chapters and what Christ is doing in the world and in your life every moment of every day. He speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 through 12 when he says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. That deep things of God, they're the same word that Paul uses when he says, Oh, the depths of the riches. Oh, the depths of the riches. There's this sense where we know there's something wrong with us from a young age. There's a sense where there's the longing within each of you in this room, knowing that there's something spiritual about us. There's this longing to fulfill our desires that we can never find in this world. 
And it is only through the Scriptures and the Spirit of God that you can hear the call of the deep things of God. In Psalms 42, 7, Deep calleth unto deep. At the noise of thy waterspouts, all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. A poetic expression of someone standing by the ocean and hearing the roar of tornadoes over the water, water, water spouts, and seeing the power and the majesty of God. And there's a sense spiritually where that terror and wonder of God is calling to us and deep within our spirit. And Paul being filled with the knowledge of God about salvation and teaching us, comes to this point where he expresses, oh, the depths of the riches. The depth of the riches. Do you wonder? Do you feel that call of the deep things of God in your soul? He says, oh, the depth of the riches. Riches is fullness and abundance. He's talked about riches before. In Romans. Oh, the riches. Oh, the depth of the riches. More riches than we can imagine. But he's not talking about silver and gold. He's talking about something more valuable than that. Life. Resurrection. Eternal life. Treasures of joy and fellowship and family forever the things that really matter, that really make us happy. Riches, fullness, abundance. What are some of these? If we were going to try to talk about some of these riches, I would go back in Romans chapter 2 and and remind you about what he says there. He says, Do you despise the riches and the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? Do you realize that repentance is a gift? And that unless the King of glory grants you repentance, you can't repent. I know there's been times in my own life where I've sinned and been grieved and uh, want to repent and just feel like I can't be broken enough. And then at some point over a few days or weeks, He grants it. And there's, it's like an avalanche breaks. The dam breaks. And I can truly be broken and humbled. Oh, the depth of the riches. That's one of the great riches and treasures we have is the gift of repentance. To be able to repent and believe upon Christ. What a, a, a treasure to be a vessel of mercy. In Romans 9.23 he says that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He has before prepared unto glory. What a great treasure it is to be able to know that you're one whom He loves and cares for. To sense His presence and His fatherly approval. Oh, the depth of the riches. The depth of the riches. And in 
Ephesians 3.8, if y'all remember in Meek and Lowly, as we were going through that, the final chapter on Romans 3.8. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that's where Paul's going here also in Romans 11 and 33 because he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Christ is the great wisdom and knowledge of God, which is treasure. To preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He says here, how unsearchable are His judgments in Romans eleven thirty three. How unsearchable are His judgments. Wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom here, as you can see, Paul has started out with a general exclamation here. He says, oh, the depth. That's real big. Depth. And then he starts getting more narrow. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul, here, speaking of wisdom, which has the idea of supreme intelligence as in the forming of the universe. As in ordering and managing of the universe every day. We read of Christ in Colossians 2.3, it says, In Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And the Holy Spirit comes whenever we're reading through texts like this. As you're reading through this in your morning Bible study, if you're crying out and you're desiring to want to know Him, there's times that this will overflow in your heart and your mind and you'll say, praise God. He's blessed me to catch a glimpse of all wisdom and knowledge in Christ and saving me from this brokenness and this sin, this plague within my soul. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The knowledge here is the word that is translated science. How many thoughts do you think you have a day? Well, you know, the best smart people out there say 6,000 thoughts a day that you have. How many does an infinite mind have? You know, we have all of this technology pushing supercomputers and moving towards what they call AI, artificial intelligence, and faster and faster and faster computers and, you know, all of the imaginations of men thinking that one day there will be a, a robot that can do everything we can. It'll never happen, by the way. But God is the ultimate supercomputer. Infinite thoughts, infinitely, about everything that's happening in the world all the time. I sent out a video to y'all recently about this Arctic turn. One of the ways that we comprehend these, this wonder that Paul is getting at here is, is through nature. And I know that's in the prayer this morning already we've had about driving to church and just going, wow. Isn't this great? And this little bitty Arctic tern weighs less than five ounces 
And every year it completes one of the greatest journeys in the animal kingdom. It goes from North Pole to South Pole 50,000 miles. And it's, they don't know why or when. It just gets up and takes off. flies 50,000 miles. Or, or how can it sustain? How can it go that far? How, can, how does it have enough energy? A little bitty bird like that to go that far. How can it get enough food along the way? Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. He moves into talking about these unsearchable and untraceable judgments and ways in this exclamation of praise and worship. The word judgment, it's interesting, I looked up that word judgment. It could mean decisions or decrees. It's used 942,469 times in the Bible. That would probably be a key word, wouldn't it? The word judgment. And it has various meanings. But here, as we're following up with God dealing with history and whole people groups and salvation... Over thousands of years, we've got judgments in ways that are unsearchable and untraceable. We even read of the angels who wonder, how is God going to save a bunch of these fallen wretches? You go into 1 Peter 1.12 and it says, Unto whom it was revealed, talking about the prophets of old, about how God is going to save you. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, unto you, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And then there's this little phrase there at the end, which things the angels desire to look into. How much smarter do you think an angel is than you are? I mean, IQ, what are, I don't know. I bet it's a lot more. And yet they also wonder at these unsearchable ways of God. Is how, is, how is God going to take a humanity that was polluted from the first father and it's passed down and polluted through every father through the genealogy of humanity? How is He going to break that? How is God going to rescue them? He's going to adopt them. He's going to regenerate them. And He's going to put them in union with the second Adam. And they're going to be raised from the dead when Christ is raised from the dead spiritually. And they're going to be rescued through the virgin birth. Through all of these wonderful, glory, doc, glorious doctrines we have in Christianity. Oh, the depth. And the angels even desire to look into these things. Psalms 139.6, the psalmist says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Unsearchable. Just means can't be searched. That word, you know, you look up these words and you try to do a word study. 
And there's two words here, unsearchable and uh, untraceable. Or past finding out. Both these words, two different words, and they're both used one time in all of the Greek New Testament. And I was thinking about why is that? Why is it that there's only one word here? Maybe because these things can't be traced out like in a word study. Can't be searched. Maybe because this is a mystery and one of the ways that the Holy Spirit was pointing to this mystery is He said, I'm going to use one word, one time to talk about this unique thing. The unsearchable, untraceable, past finding out ways of God. And yet, one of the great wonders also of the Scripture is that he's, He says He's unsearchable and past knowing. And then Proverbs eight seventeen says, I love them that love Me, and those that seek Me early shall find Me. Have you found Him? Have you sought Him early? You were designed to find your purpose in the infinite. You'll never find it in this world. That's finite. You were designed to find your purpose in the infinite. So your desire that you have, good desires, to wonder, to be entertained, to be stimulated, are to point you towards the only place that you can find the fulfillment of that wonder. And He whose name is Wonderful. But you might be saying, you know what? My life isn't so wonderful. I've had a lot of pain and trials in my life. Maybe you're going through one of those trials right now. Maybe you're saying there's so many griefs and woundings in this world. How, how can we wonder and enjoy those things? Well, I'll just tell you, faith overcomes those things. I was reading in uh, Boyce's commentary this week, and he reminded me of the story of Elizabeth Howard Elliot. You see, we're not always convinced our ways are ordained. We don't always know where our ways are going. His ways are unsearchable. Things don't always turn out the way we think they should. Isn't that right? So Elizabeth Elliot, in her life, was translating the Bible into the Colorado language. And she hired a translator who knew Spanish and the language of this indigenous people group to help them with that translation. And shortly after that, he was murdered. After they'd been praying for him. For God, send us somebody that can help us. He came and then he was murdered. 
And then, after a year of doing work on that translation of that language, all of the materials they had were stolen. And they prayed for their return, and they were never returned. And they had to start over. Then, she marries Jim Elliott. 27 months later, he's murdered. Then she marries Addison Leach and she watches him disintegrate from cancer. And he dies. And this is what she had to say. The experience of my life, the experiences of my life are not such that I could infer from them that God is good, gracious, and merciful necessarily. To have one husband murdered and another one disintegrate through cancer is not what you would call a proof of the love of God. In fact, there are many times when it looks just the opposite. But my belief in the love of God is not to be inferenced by instinct. It is by faith. To apprehend God's sovereignty working in that love is, we must say it, the last and the highest victory of the faith that overcomes the world. What shows that faith is supernatural in our life is it has an easy life, retiring and collecting shells on the beach. No. Faith shows that it is supernatural when even in Jim Reynolds' life, as his body is disintegrating from cancer, last week, She drove him to all of his appointments and he performed all of his chiropractic adjustments on animals right up through last Friday. And then he went home and on Tuesday he woke her up at 5.30 in the morning and they'd just gotten in at 1 o'clock from somewhere. And he said, Hey darling, let's spend some time together. I think he knew. And so she got up and she said, I was tired, didn't really want to get up, but I got up and went over there and we started going through a scripture that he'd been teaching me. And he he was at the point where he couldn't really talk anymore hardly. And so she read him the scripture out loud and sang some songs and they spent some sweet time there together. And then he became unresponsive. And they called in his son, was able to say goodbye to him and tell him he loved him, took him to the hospital and he passed away at the hospital. At the hospital said, do you want to go out where we wash his body? She said, no. I'll do it. I'll wash his body. And she said, I washed his body so I could serve him one more time. What a testimony of faith. What a testimony of faith. You see, the experiences of life and watching loved ones die and waste away would not necessarily show us according to our rules and ways of what we think mercy ought to be or what we think a life ought to look like. But, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Paul says here, how? 
How unsearchable are His judgments. You know, another interesting thing about this verse here, verse 33, there are no verbs in here. That's hard. You know, the translators put an R in there. But when you go look at this, you know, in your concordance, there's no verbs. There's one adverb, how. Paul is sitting here and he's trying to wrap his mind around all of these things he's been teaching and the Holy Spirit's showing him. And he says, how? How does God do this? Well, he doesn't tell us. His knowledge is infinite. He knows every hair on your head, every freckle on your face. He knows when a bird hops or falls to the ground. How does God do it? I was reading yesterday, an air traffic controller is involved in keeping all these planes safe, right? Now we have computers that help with that a lot, but you know that there are 115,000 planes a day, flights a day. And it's rare that there's a wreck. They do happen. But what about the God who's controlling a trillion human actions and interactions every day? Asteroids flying through space, the fear of man is so great, we've got a program now to try to warn us about the big one that's coming. I tell you, when, if the Lord sends that one, it'll be too late. They won't be able to do anything about it. He has all things in His hand. He wants you to know what He's doing to the best He can. He wants you to grasp and understand His majesty and His wonder and His glory because He does not want you to fear the wrong kind of fear. He wants you to trust Him, to know Him. He has ability to do things that can't be traced out. You think about the story about Abraham's servant that he sends to get a wife for Isaac. That's one of the great stories to teach you this his unsearchable ways. He tells him, I want you to go over there and get a bride for my son. And, uh, and the servant says, well, what if no, no woman will come? And he said, well, then you'll be clear of this requirement. And he sends him over there and the servant lifts up his eyes and said, God, I pray that you would send a woman out here that would say, I'm going to draw water for your camels. And... Uh, and he prays this prayer, and it says, before he was done praying, she appeared. And he's just stunned. Is this the one? Is this not the one? I mean, what's, what's going on here? And we see that the providence of God dealing, taking care of that. What wonder. This God who controls all things and knows all things, in the life of Joseph. What about that? Brothers are going to kill you. And then he overrules that and has him sold into slavery. That's better, right? Wow. And at the end of his life, his brothers come after the dad dies, right? Jacob, and they're scared. Because all the dreams came true that they hated him for. And he said, don't worry. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. How does God overrule that without being the author of sin and bring about good and the preservation of the Jewish nation? I don't know. How unsearchable are His ways? 
and his judgments past finding out. He is still doing that today. He's doing that in your life. And so Paul asks this question here, how? How unsearchable are his judgments and ways past finding out? And it's like in order to answer his own question, he has these two questions. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who is first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? We try to figure it out. We, we're always trying to reason and understand these things. But there comes a point where we can't. Think about Job and his three friends. Job's out there, why has this happened to me? I didn't commit any terrible sins. And his three friends come along and say, well, this happened to you because you sinned. It's cause and effect. Well, you know, that's true to a certain degree. You reap what you sow in life. Every decision you make, you're sowing something. Good fruit or bad fruit. There are repercussions. But in the case of Job, there was something going on here that they didn't understand. And at the last, God shows up and says, All right, I'm here now. Dress yourself like a man and answer me. Where were you when I created the universe? Where were you when I scattered the stars across the sky? Can you measure the ocean? Can you take a, a 300 milliliter beaker and go out there and start dipping and tell me how many liters of water in the ocean? you got a balance where you can go measure the mountains and tell me how much do all the mountains weigh? You got any, there are scientists that are arrogant enough to think they could do that, but they've never done that. They never will be able to do that. How does he do it? I don't know. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Of course, the answer is right. Rhetorical, no, no one. Nobody. He would say the same thing in 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? No one. But he adds right there, but we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean, to have the mind of Christ? It means to have the Holy Spirit. It means that you being in union spiritually with the resurrected Christ on the right hand of God right now are catching glimpses and scents of roses and honeysuckle and flowers coming down from heaven. These questions here are coming from a finite mind trying to comprehend an infinite mind. Who, who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Who's given to him and it shall be recompensed again? You know, in politics today, they say, you pat my back, I'll pat yours. You know, there's always, you pay me and I'll pay you back. Who's paid God anything so that he owes them anything? No one. He doesn't owe us anything. He is the beginning and the end of everything including you. These verses are the only proper response to the Lord. Oh, the depth of the riches and of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. This is the great response of Paul. 
And then he concludes with this verse 36 here. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Three little words here that show so much. Of. For of him. The word of means origin. For of him. He is the origin of your life. He is life itself. You're, you're a little spark off a flaming infinite sun, blazing life. You're just a, a sunbeam. He's the sun. You have been given life. And your life is going to live forever somewhere. Of Him, by the word of the Lord, were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. The Lord has made all things, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Through, for of Him and through Him. Through means it's a channel. Through. Saved by grace, through faith. He is the channel for which life flows. Life continues to exist because life is flowing from Him to you now while you're in the room. We all have life and breath because of Him. Paul would say something similar in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. We have our life by Him. And this Him, this Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Y'all remember that text in Colossians there? I know it's a favorite from a lot of you. That word consists there. It's an interesting tense on this word consist. It's a verb, and it's perfect active indicative. Perfect tense means it's seen as a perfect act already completed, and yet it's an active voice, which means it's still active. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus is doing that action now and it's a perfect act already completed. It's a fact. Consist means everything coheres and is held together by Jesus Christ. It's in His mind. He's holding it all together. He's the creative agent who created everything from overflowing love and joy. And the reality is held together by Him now. The whole universe would collapse into nothing if He's not upholding it. If He's not willing it. He willed Jim Reynolds' life to continue until the point when he had determined that it was done. And then it fell. Do you know when your life will end? Children are dying in Ukraine in war. I remember when I moved here, this little bitty two-year-old girl had leukemia and died across the street. 
two years old. Teenagers dying in tragic car accidents. Do you know when He will withdraw your life from you? Christ is your hope. And you don't have to worry about that. Because life continues and a more glorious life in Him. For of Him and through Him and to Him. To Him is a direction. Where are you headed? To Him. Where are you headed? To that great day where everyone will be gathered together at His judgment seat. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. We will one day stand before the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. We will one day come to that place. Let me give you a contrast just to show you about this glorious statement here. Of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. This is where words just can't go there. It has to be the Holy Spirit that will lift you up and help you to see the infinite, glorious, wonderful mind and love of God. To sense His presence in the room now. What are you thinking about right now? Are you overcome with this majesty? I'll give you a contrast. Does anyone know the last Beatles song written? I hope you don't. I, me, mine. That is the first and the last song of the unregenerate heart. That's the exact opposite of of him and to him and through him are all things I, me, mine that is the lie of Satan in the garden you can be a God and decide your own way and decide what's right and wrong I, me, mine Daniel 4.30 I'll show you that song of the unregenerate heart Nebuchadnezzar made the great gardens He's standing out there admiring it. And he says, The king spake and said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built of me? For the house of the kingdom by the might of my power through me, and for the honor of my majesty to me. And that led to his insanity. Any soul in this room that is singing that song, I, me, mine, will lead to your insanity. To madness. Look at the world. But those that love Christ, who have a real desire for Christ, who have been redeemed and know what you've been saved from, it's of Him and to Him and through Him are all things. We shall all stand before the face of this one, one day. The one who is untraceable, whose paths are unknowable, infinite. And we will be inspected. The mercy and wonder is that at that moment, by the mercy and the blood of Christ, that we will survive that inspection. C.S. Lewis puts it that way. 
that face will either be turned on you conferring infinite glory and wonder or inflicting a shame that can never be disguised or cured. Everyone desires to please their father or mother. Everyone is looking for approval from the world. They will dress certain ways. They will get tattoos. They'll run with certain crowds. They're looking for approval because it's built within them. That's the original desire. Glory as this book teaches it is to have that original desire satisfied. And the only one who can satisfy you. You have spiritual longings now. All of you have these longings. The sunset, that feeling after the beautiful piece of music is finished, you know, the glow, the afterglow. When I went to Benton Village Tuesday after we were there and singing last time, they were still in the afterglow. They were just praising God. They said, that was so wonderful, the singing and the presence that was there. Everyone sees this. We catch glimpses of it, but then it fades and goes away. And we look for it around here in the world. We can't find it, but there's a spiritual part of us who sees that one day we're going to break through and get to the other side where that will be satisfied. The only way is through Christ. All of us have this desire within us to have our Father say, Well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the desire of every heart. That's only found in returning to the Father through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. At the end of Revelations we read in 21.6, He said unto me, It is done. This day is coming. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Are you thirsty? Oh, I'm praying you'll be more thirsty. I know people I love that have no thirst for the things of God. I have family members that have no thirst. I'm praying God would give them a thirst for Him that they might understand there's infinite everlasting water in Christ. Sweet springs. For of Him and to Him and through Him are all things. Lay hold of Christ. Come to Christ. Make your calling and election sure. Be baptized. Come to the communion table. You will have assurance granted to you through those things that will help you to live in more joy and peace and happiness in this life. And we can show forth the glory of this one whose name is wonderful, whose name is incomparable, and whose joy is infinite. And we can take part of that joy through Him.